Hello everyone, uh, welcome to the National Theatre and to this evening's platform. I'm Emily Burns, I'm the Associate Director on this production and I'm thrilled to be joined by both the director and the writer of Hansard, Simon Godwin and Simon Woods. Hello. Hello. Let's start at the very beginning with Simon Woods. Simon, it's your debut play. It's on at the National Theatre. I know everyone here is thrilled and feels so privileged to have it here. Uh, how did you come to write it? How did it end up at the Littleton? Well, the first thing to say is it's just been an amazing experience having my first play on here. Um, completely daunting and an enormous privilege and terrifying. Um, and last week was this immense week because my elder daughter also had her first day of big school on the first day, you know, the morning after press night. So it's been this kind of immense um, week. Um, so how did, I, uh, how did it begin? I think um, uh, it's a two-hander two and... Um, it just sort of emerged, these two voices emerged when I sat at my computer and I just uh, started writing them down, these sort of this kind of bickering, loving, wrong, right couple. And I just sort of uh, started writing their dialogue and then from there I kind of worked out a plot for them to inhabit. That's probably what happened. And then having you, you wrote the play in its entirety? and then it sat on your computer, and then, uh, and then what next? So it sat on my computer for quite a long time, and I sort of felt quite nervous about it, and I thought, well, then I thought, must do something with this. Um, so I, I sent it to an agent and um, waited nervously for a response, and, and, and he came back and liked it and uh, said he would send it to a theatre, and we talked about where, and I thought it might maybe the bush, and... Um, and then suddenly he sent it to the National Theatre and, and, uh, and then they wanted to do a reading of it. Um, and then I met Simon and then here we are. Excellent. And first impressions, Simon on Simon, Simon on Simon. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, well, Simon, you should start. Should I? <laughs> um, well, look, I'd seen, I, I, I'd seen and admired Simon's work as a director. Um, actually sort of practically seen everything you've ever done. Um, so I was really just chuffed to be given, you know, I was handed Simon um, by the theatre as a sort of, um, so I was just really, really thrilled. And I felt the same. I mean, I think that um, we, we, we'd met before a few years ago, briefly, and I felt this was a world that I recognised. And in Simon, I felt there was so a guide into that world that I felt I could really trust. I didn't feel it was an exercise. I felt it was an inhabitation of a certain kind of person and a certain glimpse into our England, a certain part of our culture was being very expertly exposed. And that comes through Simon's experience as well as your imagination. And that was clear from the beginning. And so you, th the play was given to you or a group of you read it and someone said, I'd like to have it or the studio contacted you? Well, I think the first thing was that it was good that um, there's a kind of rapid response element to the National, even though it's a, a huge organisation. I think it was, I was very proud of the theatre that they were able to receive a play that was unsolicited. It arrived through Simon's agent. It was read very quickly and recognised that there was something very promising to it. But, of course, the thing about plays is that it's one thing reading them alone in your study or in your house, it's quite another to hear it actually spoken by actors. So very often the theatre's policy is, if a play feels promising, it's to do a reading in order to test that idea out further. So yes, um, the studio got in touch with me and said, a play has come in that we're interested in, we want to organise a reading, would you like to direct the reading? And being an associate here means that perhaps I'm 
um, I'm more included in those conversations than I would be if I was entirely a freelance director. So we did the reading, and I um, spoke to Simon about actors that might be good to invite to do the reading, and Simon suggested, actually, Alex and Lindsay mm. as actors that you'd work with in your past life as an actor. Yes. So we rang Alex and Lindsay and sent them the script, and they both responded very quickly and said, yes, great, we'd love to come in and read it. And we read the play out loud, and I remember Rufus saying to me afterwards, well, the first thing to say, I mean, it's quite hard to evaluate because those two could make the telephone directory interesting. I mean, <laughs> I mean they're just so, they're so good. <laughs> so um, I said, yes, well, that's, that's right, Rufus. And then he and I talked more, and we thought, well, look, it would be brilliant to, to, to produce the play. And pretty swiftly afterwards, Alex and Lindsay both said, well, if you're going to do it, we'd like to do it too. And it meant that a process that can often take months, if not years, to persuade actors to do a play because of the extraordinary competing demands on their time was brilliantly um, truncated and meant that the whole process was, was very, very quick. And that was very satisfying. And Simon, having suggested Alex and Lindsay, um, what was the experience of hearing it read by them that first time? How did that uh, colour the development from that point onwards? Do you have any strong memories from that first reading? Uh, well, I'd basically written it for them. So I was, you know, I, I had everything <laughs> crossed that they wanted. Um, uh, so, yeah, I mean, I'd had their voices in my head when I was working on it. And I, I you know, know, th know them from having worked with them, but also from having seen their um, stage work for years. So I sort of knew what they both kind of brought to a, brought to things. And, uh, and so, um, you know, they, they have these specific qualities, don't they? Alex has this kind of um, appealing, genial, warm, kind of wondrous quality. People, he walks onto the stage and you just warm to him instantly. Um, and so the fun thing there was to think, you know, often in, a, in, a, in the theatre, the, the kind of, Tory MP is a kind of baddie figure, um, you know, or, or, and, and so the, the interest for me was to try to say, can you take somebody who, who is so warm and appealing and um, give him the position that is often held by somebody who's less appealing in a play? Um, and then with Lindsay, you know, she has this kind of dual quality of being dazzling and effortless and funny and kind of gorgeous. And then having this kind of like huge, sudden depth of emotion. Uh, so for me, you know, I'd sort of written the play thinking of the two of them. Uh, and then, you know, there we were sitting in the funny room in the National Theatre studio and they were reading it and it just kind of came to yeah, life. Yeah, took off. Yeah. yeah. And so what's, could you sketch out for us the, from programming, the moment that we say, yes, we're going to put this on and it's going to go on on this day here, and the point that you then get to starting rehearsals. What's the process throughout that? Well, I suppose one of the big questions, um, once the play is decided that the National Theatre will produce it, is the question of the stage that it should be on. Because, as we, many of you will, of course, we all, all know, there's the Dorfman, the little one, there's here, and then there's the Olivier, the biggest of them all. And, and the National Theatre has a great wish to produce more new work on its larger stages. Because I feel, and I think everyone here feels, that the best way to develop a voice for a big stage is by having your work produced on a big stage. And there are so few stages in this country that are willing to take a risk on new writing that we felt excited about moving it into this 
theatre. And also because the play deals with big political questions about our country as through the prism of a relationship, it's also a sort of state of the nation play. So in its scale, yes, it's a two-hander, but the themes are of sufficient magnitude that it felt exciting to put it on in here. So my agent at this point said, what you must not let them do is put it on in the Littleton. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, you have to make them put it on in the Dorfman. So that was anyway. No, good. And, um, and, and, and then I, I guess in the other point of view, there have been a series of plays in the Dorfman recently that have been very difficult to actually get tickets to see. Um, and particularly if you have actors like Alex and Lindsay, lots and lots of people want to see the play and lots and lots of people want to see them. And so it felt like a generous opportunity to celebrate the play, but also improve the access to the work by putting it in an auditorium that seats nearly a thousand people. And it's been wonderful that every night has, I think, pretty much been full. So that decision does feel vindicated. And I think, you know, the great thing for us that we had a great designer. So Hildegard has managed to bring this you know, we've come through the proscenium arch, we've brought the stage forward, so it's, you know, we don't feel miles away from them. That's yeah. right. And actually, you'll see that the, uh, the black sheet is, is sort of where the front row, well, is, is normally, but those seats are not on sale. So, and then the proscenium arch, as you can see, is normally where, the, so the stage is really much further back normally. And I think for some of you might remember experiences in here where you perhaps felt far away from the action. But certainly sitting here talking to you now, I feel very close to you, and I hope that impression will be continues in, in, in the play itself. Yes, if you were to stay in the auditorium after the play, which I don't think you'll be allowed to do, but uh, the whole set gets driven backwards. Someone sits in a seat there, presses a button, and then it goes... <laughs> and the safety curtain comes in. It's quite terrifying. Um, so, uh, we get, so, Simon, we get to the rehearsal process, yep. and at the same time, the set is being built in the building, um, and uh, something that you've been thinking about and then you've been thinking about with one and then with three other people is suddenly being thought about by hundreds. Uh, what had your expectations of that process been and what was, you know, what were good and terrifying moments in that? Well, I mean, the, I think the, the, the amazing thing as, a, as a, a writer was s you sit with this thing in your computer for such a long time and in your head for even longer um, and then just seeing it become a physical reality, you know, seeing the, this room being built and this of Arga slotting into the chimney breast and, you know, all those sort of things um, was, uh, you know, for me an amazing experience. Um, uh, the rehearsal process, I didn't realise how nightmarish it was going <laughs> to be to learn the lines. Um, so the poor actors have, you know, they don't get a break. There's no, there are no, next time I'm going to write scene changes, loads of actors, going to give everyone like much more of a break because this is a, a relentless experience for them. They come on at the beginning and they just have to talk at each other for an hour and 20 minutes. And uh, so, I mean, it was a big I I experience for me that uh, I was sort of difficult, the thing, I, the challenge I'd set them was. I mean, that's, that's right. I mean, certainly that was... Well, I mean, you were also with Assembly in the rehearsal room and indeed helped a lot in, uh, in, all, in lots of ways. Um, but I think that I certainly realised early on, oh yes, normally a scene in the theatre is about five minutes before uh, you know, at least somebody else comes in or there is a change of one kind or another. So to realise that we're doing a scene that lasts an hour and one well in the rehearsal room is an hour and 35 minutes. Yeah. Uh, was an incredibly daunting process. And it's not just, of course, that you're trying to remember it, it's that you also have to do it quick. You're trying, because you're trying to reproduce the speed of thought. So to learn it is one thing, but to then deliver it at pace 
is quite another. So it really reminds me of the kind of heroism of the actor, that it is the two of them, and it starts, and it's an unbroken round of a boxing match with absolutely no pause or rest, is Or that? help, or yeah. respite, or backup, or, you know, friends. It's just there we are. And I hope that's not revealing too much. So th that I feel like there we've reached sort of the end of the rehearsal process in that we're at pace and learning, starting going right back to the beginning of it. And um, you're very specific that the play is set the 27th of May, Saturday, 1988, just after 11. Uh, how, how did you go about researching the, I hate to say era because it's about 30 years ago, but the, uh, that time period and how did research come into the rehearsal room? Um, I think I, I mean, what did I do? I, I watched lots of YouTube clips. I, um, uh, you know, thought about my lovely grandparents. I um, read lots about the 80s. Um, Your grandfather uh, was an MP. Yes, mm -hmm. exactly. Mm -hmm. Although, I mean, so not anything like these people. But, um, uh, um, um, yes, uh, um, and, you know, it's set in that specific um, moment um, because we sort of pivot around um, it's set in, on the weekend after um, the local government act has been passed so and, and the kind of political backdrop to the play is the um, passing of the local government act um, so it was sort of you know it was positioned there in order to ask questions about um, that political moment and our political moment in a way. and then research wise well we went to the house of commons all together and sat in the chamber and we saw Hansard in action. Saw Hansard yes. in action. And which saw is John Redwood sitting with his feet up, like on the bench in front, you know, just to pour, like, we, you know, we all saw Jacob Rees-Mogg like yeah, this last week. It was the sort of seeing that was actually amazing. The kind of, oh, yeah. you know. Um, and Hansard being the, uh, being the means by which the information is recorded, the debates in a, and there were three of them, I think, weren't there, just taking, Yes, detailed. we were talked through this. It's, it's, they're in teams of two, but they only do five minutes at a time. And so you're in the, you're in the chamber uh, in your own gallery and you're noting down bits that you think might have been misheard or words that you think might not have been picked up particularly well. And then you go off and you spend the next 55 minutes writing that up and then you come back out again. And so actually there's a whole team of people in a room and a, and a bank of computers and it's all... Uh, we spent a lot of time in rehearsals looking for things on it and it is sort of uh, impressive and terrifying at the same time to see how much has been recorded and uh, the intricacies of it and also the things that are omitted. I noticed that from the, the recent um, Jacob Rees-Mogg lying down and that being spoken aloud so that it would go into Hansard but we were looking at the protests against Section 28 which included the... Um, abseiling into the House of Lords. And when you go through Hansard for the House of Lords there, there's just a line saying, debate interrupted. And then it begins again. <laughs> so the sort of, what do you want to remember and what do you not? Which of course is a big, big question in the play itself in one way or another. Um, and so yeah, there was, there was the speakers came and we tried to do our best with, this, with the research of the period and how they spoke and how they moved and the values and beliefs that these characters are embodying. And we've been rehearsing and then previewing and we continue to do the play in potentially, well, definitely an incredibly politically volatile time. Um, how has that fed into the rehearsal room, into the audience that we've had, into how the play has responded to, how you felt about what you've written? 
When oh, you wrote it, did you expect that we'd be in this situation? No, so, so m m the character is an old Etonian Tory politician. And um, when I was writing it, um, Theresa May was prime minister. And, you know, that was a sort of, in not in incidental, but it wasn't, didn't feel so apposite. Um, so the arrival of Boris Johnson, you know, halfway through our rehearsal process, um, lent a kind of, you know, sort of bewildering air to proceedings. Um, and it makes one of the jokes more funny. I don't know whether it makes any of the other <laughs> ones more funny, but, you know, it definitely makes one work. Um. Yes, I mean, it's, it, it, I think on, on two fronts, um, there's the, exactly the parallel that you describe, Simon, but there's also the return of the debate around Section 28. I mean, not directly about Section 28, but about the teaching of homosexuality in schools. And many of you might have seen the Panorama programme, which has been about the school in Birmingham, the various protests from different groups, uh, different faith groups, around how they feel homosexuality should be talked about in schools. So that debate, to our great surprise, has become very urgent again. A play, for those of you that haven't seen the play, without giving away too much, is somehow at the fulcrum of the evening. Um, but it was very weird on press night because when people gathered, it was the Tuesday of the return to Parliament and it felt quite hard to compete with the drama in Westminster it and the, the drama in here. Yes. Uh, it was extraordinary. Everyone was on their phones. Exactly. Um, so uh, be careful what you wish for. Um, so, Simon, you've worked uh, prolifically across lots of different genres, but you've been particularly celebrated recently for your work on Shakespeare productions. Um, how much of your process on those plays is applicable with a piece of new writing? How does it differ? Uh, what are the universal ways that you approach a text that are always helpful, and how do you have to adapt <laughs> what you're doing? Well, thank you, Emily. Um, <laughs> in a nutshell. In a nutshell. Very brief, please. Well... I think it was Ian Rickson, when he ran the Royal Court, said that his dream would be to do an old play like it was a new play and a new play like it was an old play, i.e. to bring the same rigour that you might bring to a Shakespeare to a new play and vice versa. And that the pursuit essentially is to make whatever text that you do feel compelling and urgent and relevant to the people that are watching it. And my job in the rehearsal room is essentially to be the first audience member. It's to represent all of you from day one. And the moments when a play catches my interest is, in, uh, is when I feel we're going in the right direction. And the moment when a play starts to make you feel a little bit heavy or disconnected or a little bit distracted is the moment when I always try and stop the room and understand why that's happened. There are, of course, many, many reasons why that happens. But so the job is to guide an evening's entertainment to be entertaining and urgent. And also, what's lovely about Hansard is it's a play very much about language. It's two people who are very adept at debate and rhetoric. And having done so much Shakespeare, it was really fun to visit a play that really celebrated the art of persuasion. And that, of course, is very deeply akin to Shakespeare's project. And Jeanette Nelson, who's the brilliant head of voice here, who helps me and all the actors, has been brilliant at moving also from the lessons that she's learned in Shakespeare and applying them to a text like this one. So there are lots of links. And the joy of working at the National Theatre is you get the chance as a director to work in so many different genres, and yet hopefully with the same aim. And Simon, you touched on... Uh, you're both called Simons. This is always very funny. Simon Woods, you touched on uh, sort of jokerly that your next play would have many people, many scenes, many scene changes, lots of time off. What... Of this process, um, what have you found yourself hungry to write 
having gone through this process now? Oh, well, I realise that the most seductive thing as a writer is when people laugh. Uh, you know, that's the, it's, it's so interesting. You know, you write it on your own. You, you, don't, know, you don't have a clue if it's going to be funny or not. You sit in the rehearsal room watching it over and over again for weeks. No one By laughs. which time you're convinced it's not funny. Yeah. Like, nobody's going to laugh ever. Um, and so, the, you know, the, the excitement of having an audience laugh is, um, I can see that's quite addictive. So I, I will be trying to make the next one funny. Um, <laughs> uh, and, uh, yeah, I think... What have I learned? I, I've learned that what people really want is a strong emotion. That's what people really respond to is a big, you know, they want to have a, a nice time and then have a big emotional experience. And, and I suppose if I can try and achieve that, if I've achieved that here, great. And if I can achieve that better next time, all the better. And Simon, you are uh, imminently moving to America. I am. To head up the Shakespeare Theatre Company in Washington. As of this Saturday. This Saturday, correct. Um, what, what from the Hansard rehearsal room will you take to America with you? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> mm. well, well, first of all, I'm going to stay an associate director of the National Theatre. So I'm excited that I, it's not goodbye to this theatre, but, um, but it is embracing a new, yes, a Shakespeare-led theatre in Washington. And I am very aware that theatre is tribal. And what's been extraordinary about doing this play to all of you in this theatre every night is that the way the codes operating in the play, the references, the intimations, the nuances are remarkably alive. And it would be very different, of course, producing Hansard in Washington. That's not to say they wouldn't enjoy it, but they're reading of it or what they would pick up on or respond to I think would be very different and so partly for me the fascination of going to another country is discovering what is unique to that tribe but also in the end what is universal what actually can all tribes agree on as being moving fascinating surprising and necessary so ask me in a year I'll probably be able to give you a better answer but the quest in the end is for the shared rather than the particular as the uh, residing advocate for the company, I know that they are itching to get out and warm yes. up on the stage. Yes. So we'll have to end there. Thank you so much, everybody. Thank you very Thanks. much, Simon and Simon. Thank you, Nicola.